What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Shalom. Um, I just got back from Israel. I came from Israel yesterday, um, literally. Uh, um, I want to tell you guys that a lot of things are happening in Israel. So last time I was here with you guys, I got to share a message about Peter um, and Cornelius and how he wouldn't eat the food. Peter wouldn't eat the food uh, prepared by non-Jews, which is also called Gentiles. Uh, we, we had just a, such a great healing moment and, and met some of you guys who came back to Israel since I was with you guys here last year. Um, and it, you guys left such a big impact on my life when I was with you guys. I just saw the passion here to draw closer to God, saw the passion for, in your hearts to really exper- express and experience God's uh, love in, in a way that's so unique. And today, what I will do is I will sh- um, share like a brief introduction about who I am, just to remind you guys of those who weren't here last time I was with you, just to put a, put a point of what my story is, what my testimony is. And I want to share a couple neat things. I told you guys last time we were working on some historical thing in Bethlehem. You guys remember that? We're working on some big historical vision to really present preserve Christianity in the birthplace of Jesus Christ. And today I come bearing some great news because not only did the vision start, but we've also um, have passed through so many different amazing points and amazing progress since I was last with you guys. But I want to tell you a funny story. Last night I landed in, in West Palm Beach from Israel and the, the car rental place, I went up to the counter and they ran out of cars. And they, the, the guy's talking to me and said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Israel. I just got here. And he says, uh, he says well, we'll, uh, you know, we're praying for Israel. And he said, you know, I'm going to treat you good. He gives me a Tesla to drive. So it took me 20 minutes to, to start the darn thing. <laughs> Literally 20 minutes. No, no joke. I drove out, of, drove out of the security gate. And, and I pulled over to the right because there was no air conditioning. I couldn't start it. That's another 10 minutes. A five-minute startup car, starting up the car takes five minutes to get it warmed up, get it going, load up the car. The whole thing took me about an hour. And I'm thinking, I'm driving down the road, I'm thinking, you know, it would be nice to have a manual, like a, like a download manual to learn how to run this thing, to learn the facts about this thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm driving it, and it's kind of cool because I'm, I'm, I'm tired and I'm jet-lagged, and uh, I'm looking at the GPS, and the car starts to swerve to the right, and it kicks me back into lane. And I'm thinking, this thing just drives by itself, and literally does, it's, it's an auto, it has autopilot. But I'm driving, and I'm thinking the whole time, I'm driving, I'm driving, driving, I'm, I'm trying to figure out this, this the GPS while I'm driving in, and a uh, car stops right in front of me, and, and guess what? The Tesla, what it does, it automatically stops by itself. If it wasn't for that GP, wasn't for that Tesla, which I was, uh, was almost about to, uh, about to curse at, um, it, it wasn't for that Tesla, it, uh, it actually saved me from running into the car in front of me. Of course, it's God's, God's provision through this technology of Tesla. And sometimes we, we dislike and hate the things that we should love or should, should appreciate. And we love the things or appreciate the things that we shouldn't. And today... I'm weaving in this Tesla experience, which I'm driving literally today. I have it parked outside. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm going to drive into a church with a Tesla, you know. Coming from Israel. How do we weave it in to the story of this message? Well, one, facts matter. Truth matters. 
I want to tell you this, that facts matter, and you cannot base a belief on a system that's based on a maybe truth. You can't base a belief, a conviction, on a maybe belief. You base your belief on full facts and full truth. And today, I'm going to link a few things happening in Israel with today's message. I'm going to pull up a PowerPoint about the vision I was sharing with you guys last year I was here. I shared briefly about this vision, and we didn't have much in, we didn't have the vision much in play, but now we have the vision all in our hands. But what I want to talk to you briefly about this morning is about the end times. Who here would say, Pastor Steve, I am somewhat in the end times. Like, I deal with the end times. I look at the end times. Would you raise your hand? Somewhat. Like, you research, you dabble, you look into it. All right. So, and, and that's always that gap between the older generation, that younger generation. How do you bridge a gap between um, end time signs, what God is doing, and what's happening today? And that gap is because... The, the younger generation have grown up, heard it. You know, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And they become numb to it. And it's become just a catalyst thing. Just, oh, Jesus is coming soon. Yeah, yeah, we heard that before. Um, you, you know, until Jesus comes, they still have to deal with this de depression, this brokenness, this sadness, this misery, this, this, uh, this, the, the, the desires of the heart, of the flesh. And, and you deal with all this until Jesus comes. And the older generation are, are somewhat ready to check out this world and ready to go be in the arms of Jesus. And the older generation is thinking, well, Jesus, you've, uh, you haven't come yet and, and you've let us down. And, and, and that's what the two lingos we're hearing as we do research, we do studies in this generation. That's the older generation, the younger generation, that gap. And how do you bridge that gap? And today, I want to try to help you guys bridge that gap, right? For the younger generation to say, yeah, yeah, we've heard that before. Jesus is coming soon. Um, and and to, to link that with the older generation of, you know, yeah, he hasn't come yet, but that means we still have more to do. Are you with me? And then the question is, why are you sitting here today? Why are you in this church? Why are you sitting in these pews? Why are you sitting in these seats? And, and, and I'm sure if we were to, to sit in a room, each, each and every single one of us, we'd have several hundred answers. Why are you here today? There's so many desires and reasons why you're sitting here this morning. But I want to tell you a few things here about the end times, which I really hope just gets the fire going in your heart. Um, I grew up hearing many times uh, about the urgency, and I grew up in Bethlehem. I was born in Jerusalem, and I grew up in the city of Bethlehem, the birth city of Jesus Christ. And I remember um, I grew up seeing a lot of war, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of turmoil, a lot of animosity. Um, I grew up seeing a lot of bloodshed in my life. I would go to school as a young man, and I would see a suicide bombing. I would see parts of bodies in the streets. That was, a, that was an average childhood for me. I went to school being called son of a traitor, son of evangelist, son of a proselyter, son of a Jew lover, and, and all these names because my father was a staunch evangelist who loved the Arabs, who loved the Jews, but also he was a man that was not ashamed of the gospel. Our church was bombed 14 times, a Molotov bombs. We'd be sitting in the church, church seats, pew, similar to this. People would come in the back doors with Molotov bombs in their hands. They throw the Molotov bombs at the church pews who are worshiping and praying. And during those Sundays, during the, especially during the 90s, 80s and 90s, we'd have our elders, we'd have buckets of water in the front sanctuary because they would come in the back doors and they would cuss and curse and, and they would throw Molotov bombs in the church pews and, and we'd get up, get the, get the buckets of water and turn off the fire, get back to worship of the Lord like nothing ever happened. While we're worshiping the Lord and they're turning off the fire, they're refilling the buckets because people might come back again and throw more Molotov bombs at us. And there were Sundays where our church members walk out the church doors and rocks and stones would come flying on people's heads. 
And the next Sunday, we would know who was there the Sunday before because we'd see gauze and, and stitches on people's foreheads. And listen, I'm not going to lie to you. Some people got scared and didn't come back till maybe a year or two later. And some people were right back that Sunday or that Wednesday sitting in the pews because they understood the context of paying a price for something you believe in. They understood the context of being willing to carry a cross every day. You know, the message of come as you are approach. Um, and we sing these worships, come as you are. And I've had the privilege to speak at Billy Graham's associations. And, and I've had the privilege to speak with Franklin Graham, invited me to speak in D.C. And this approach of come as you are, walk the front altar, that's awesome. But you have to be willing to pay a price. Coming as you are does not mean stay as you are. Come as you are does not mean it's continue living in sin or continue living a double life. Come as you are does not mean that say I love Jesus on Sundays and, and Monday through Saturday you do whatever we want. Come as you are means that you come repentative, declaring, God, I'm sorry. God, I've sinned. And you dust yourself and you, and you keep moving on, becoming better, doing better to draw towards God's righteousness. No one's perfect. Anybody tells you, anybody tells you they're perfect, um, they're not living on earth. No one's perfect. But there's a difference between wanting to be perfect and drawing cold towards God's righteousness. There's two separate things. And I remember um, growing up in our church community, a, a lot of persecution. I, we can spend hours talking about it today, but I want to I share one story with you of, of a young man who came from a very large Muslim family. And I spent two weeks with him. I'm fortunate. I read Arabic. I read Hebrew. Um, but this was in Arabic because he was a Muslim. I remember I spent two weeks answering his questions about who Jesus Christ is and talking about the Bible, talking about the gospel with him. And after two weeks, he disappeared. And I began to wonder what happened to him. Why did he disappear? Where did he go? And I remember uh, what happened was his mother found his Arabic Bible. And she grabbed his Bible and she gave it to his uncles. And he came from a very large Muslim family. And his mother grabbed the Bible and she gave it to his uncles. And he woke up in the morning and his uncles were, st his uncles were standing over his bed. And if you don't know this, Medellin culture is all about, it's a shame culture. What you do affects the whole family. It doesn't affect you only. So what you do affects your, your parents, your, your cousins, your uncles. So it becomes a family ordeal. Not just it's on you, it's on him. No, it's the whole family that carries the burden of that person and carries the problems of that person. For three days, they locked him up in his bedroom. Every six, seven hours, they would go into his bedroom and they unwinded a metal hanger. And if you've, if you've ever seen this, if it's a metal hanger is a very, it's a very a small wire. And when you unwrap it and you hit something, especially skin, it splits the skin open. And every six, seven hours, they would beat him up over and over and over again. Not one single time would he, they're asking him to deny his love for Jesus. That's all they're asking him to do. Just deny your love of Jesus and everything will, will, will be okay. Not one single time would he deny his love for Christ. You have to understand, he hadn't gone to church. He hadn't gone through discipleship one-on-one. He hadn't read Genesis and Genesis and Revelations yet. He couldn't explain rationally, intellectually, theologically, defend, explain Jesus, the Trinity, the death, burial. I mean, he knew some of it, but to him it was simple. He fell in love with Jesus. And the truth about Jesus was enough for him to go all in. And if, if there's anything today by the end when we're, when we're all done, my heart's desire 
is that when we walk away here today, you say, I'm all in. I don't want to have one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. I don't want to have one foot saying I'm a Christian on Sunday and, and, and live whatever I want to do on there. Like, I want to challenge you to live to God's righteousness. To be a person that, that draws God's word into your life and to live the scriptures, to live the truth of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you, you, you're going to become perfect, but it just means you're drawing towards God's righteousness. And that's my desire. And, and you're never too clean, nor are you never too dirty for God's love to accept you, to, to transform you, to change you, to cleanse you. It, you're never too bad for God. But all God wants is that you surrender to him and to his truth. And this young man for three days was locked up in his bedroom, beaten up over and over and over again. Not one single time would he deny, deny his love for Jesus. His uncles got together and said he's been brainwashed. And the real problem isn't him. The real problem is people like me brainwashing. And, and there's only a few of us doing it at that time. And there's only a few of us doing that till today anyways. I remember I was walking down a church street towards a church in Bethlehem. We call it the mother church or Bethlehem church because that's the first one that my father started 42, 43 years ago. I'm walking and... Somebody comes up to me and says, are you Stephen? I said, yes, I'm Stephen. And when I said, yes, I'm Stephen, I felt something burning in the back of my head. I went like this. I'm talking to this man. And he, was a, he, was this, he was a distraction. Went like this, thinking it's a bug or a fly. I looked at the palm of my hand. There was blood there. And I turned around. There about five or six guys there with metal chains and think wooden sticks in their hands. And they began to beat me to the ground over and over and over again. Call me names like infidel and proselyzer and a Jew lover and a Jesus lover and and in this colossal of this beating, it was painful. 30, 40 seconds of being beaten. It was painful. It wasn't easy. But I remember I shouted. I said, Lord, just get me through this. I love you. I'll do more for you. Get me through this beating. I remember when I said that prayer, I literally felt, and I saw like a white blanket drape over my body. Listen, I was conscious of everything around me. Because even when I share the story till today, I still remember seeing their smiles, their laughs, their mustaches. Th th those images, they don't leave. They stay in your mind. You might have forgiveness. You move on in life. But those images, those images will, will always be there. And I was conscious of the beating. I was conscious of everything happening around me. And this colossal of the beating, I said, Lord, get me through this. I love you. I'll do more for you. Just get me out of this beating. I remember I literally felt the white blanket drape over my body. And at that moment, I understood. That our God is a covenant God. Our God is a God that keeps his promises. Our God is a God that says, I will never leave you. No, will I forsake you. It's true. It's evident. And he is real. He is a God that keeps his promises. Because in the middle of that beating, I was, I was at peace. I remember what the psalmist said. When the psalmist said, even if I, in Psalm 139, even if I lay my bed in the lowest of heavens, thou art there with me also. Even if I lay my bed in the highest of the heavens, I, thou art there with me. I understood there's no place too low or too high for presence of God to reach me. And you know, that, that promise of God to me is also applies to each and every single one of you today. I'm no better than you and you know better than me because I'm from Israel or you're from Florida. God's promises are true. He will never leave us. But he wants our heart. That's what God wants. He wants your heart. He wants your commitment to him. Again, I keep saying it doesn't mean that you're going to become perfect. It just means you're on your way to live more for him. To live more like his scriptures permitted. And in that beating, I, I, and I've said this on Fox News. I've said this on History Channel. I've said this all over, all over the world when I spoke at the United Nations twice. I said, I wouldn't be the man I am today if it wasn't for that beating. I wouldn't be the man, the character that I am today if it wasn't for that persecution, that suffering. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this with you. I'm looking, a lot, uh, looking at a lot of the young faces. We had two girls get shot to death because they invited kids to vacation Bible school program. Just imagine. When you go to church and, and, and you're enjoying your drive, you have, you're, you're, you're getting ready to go out and do something fun with your friends and your family and relatives. Just imagine what others have to go through to go to church. And the purpose of this, I'm sharing this with you, is you can just appreciate what God's given you. The ability to ride with someone or drive with someone or, ride, or drive your car or to, or to walk here or just to be in this, in, in this place. Don't take it for granted. Appreciate every little bit that you have, every moment that you have with your family, with your friends, with your husband, with your wives, with your friends, with your relatives, with, with the people sitting in the right of you and left of you, people sitting in front of you, behind you. Appreciate every moment that you have because life is short. And I've challenged people everywhere I go to live life to the fullest, honoring God first and honoring those whom you love next because you can be here one moment, you can be gone the next. That's reality. And I want to tell you one thing that today, Christianity, we've made Christ and our relationship with Jesus as a product where we pick him up on Sunday and then we pick him up and put him on the shelf. And Monday through Saturday, we, we put it, pick him back up again on Sunday. We made Jesus into a product rather than our relationship with Jesus should be a process. It's a process. It's a journey. When you walk with Jesus, it's a journey to walk with Jesus. Like I said earlier when I started, you fall, you sin, you repent, you dust yourself, you identify what, what you did wrong, where you did wrong, what went wrong, where you, took a, where you veered off, took a wrong turn, and you get on, you get on your feet, you keep, keep moving forward, drawing others to God's righteousness, righteousness and to God's hope through you. And, I, and, and to transition into just two or three key prophetic points. And I, and, I, and I grew up in Bethlehem. I started off saying, grew up in Bethlehem, born in Jerusalem. We see a lot of people going through our doors, want to preach about the end times, talk about the end times, Jesus is coming soon, and, and all these amazing stories. And, and, I, and I remember I sat down in a pew growing up. I'm thinking, um, I, I, hearing in Arabic and Hebrew and English sermons and messages. And I'm sitting down thinking, God, if, I, if you ever call me to be a preacher, I don't ever want to preach on the end times using the examples of there's a tsunami there's an earthquake coming and there's famine coming i said lord if you ever call me to preach or teach about the end times just give me some solid stuff some some, some meat on the bone that i can look at and say okay we've entered a new era in history that entitles it as the end times I would say, Lord, please, I don't want to use example. There's more earthquakes, 2.2 earthquakes more than it happened 30 years ago. Or using examples like, Lord, we've never seen a famine like this before since 22 years ago. I said, Lord, if you ever speak on the end times, I want to be real. I want to be something like when, when you, look, you look at it, one plus one equals two. It's black and, black and white. It's clear. You understand. We see it. And that was my desire. In 2020, in March 2020, January, sorry, January 2020, I got a phone call from one of the top Jewish leaders in Israel. And he said, I want you to, want you to come to a meeting. And I went to this meeting. It was an underground, under tunnel meeting. And, and I, I, listen, I, I was nervous. I parked the car and they walked me through and I see all these dark window cars and these government cars. I'm thinking, this must not be another just Bible study meeting. This is something unique. I pull the car up and I walk with these, with these, with these people and they, they walk into this room. It's an all glass room and with a long conference hall table. And 
And I stand in the back. The first thing I noticed, I was the only Christian leader there. I see a lot of Muslim leaders. I see a lot of Jewish leaders in that room. I was literally the only Christian leader, the local Christian leader there. I'm standing in the back, and, and there's a long conference table, and, and there's a top Jewish rabbi and a top uh, Muslim cleric in, in the city of Jerusalem. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Because when they invited us, they didn't tell us what the meeting's about. And the assistant to this top rabbi, she waves at me like this. She goes, she goes like this, and, and I literally look back thinking, who is she talking to? Because I don't belong in that room. And she taps on this chair. She goes, come, you're sitting here. So I, I walk by all these top leaders. I mean, I've seen them on TV. I see them in the newspapers. I walk by them, and I say, shalom, salam, shalom, salam. And, and she, she says, pastor, you're sitting here in the middle. I sat down in this leather chair, and, and on my left was this rabbi. On my right was this Muslim cleric. And I remember um, I recognize this cleric. He's one of the top influencers in Israel for the Muslim world. And, and the one on the left is a rabbi, one of the top rabbi influencers in Israel. And there, the, Muslim, the Muslim cleric leans over and says, Pastor Steve, they know me as Abu Naim. He said, you know, because I've heard a lot about you. Now, that can mean a good thing. It can mean a bad thing. You have to understand, when we minister in Israel, we're known to be evangelists. We preach the gospel. We share the gospel. Uh, so many, many in the Muslim world don't like us. I'm going to be up front with you. Why? Because to them, we're stealing their people. Uh, the love of Jesus is captivating and stealing people's minds. So if that, that's the case, that I'm guilty. Um, and in the Jewish world, we are Arabs that believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So that's a, that's a defamation and that's a slap in their face because to them, Jesus Christ could never be the Messiah for a lot of reasons, which we won't get into it today because of time-wise. And in our conversation with this cleric and this Muslim Jewish leader, um, the, the guy gets up. He's a very well-known archaeologist. He gets up and begins to present this idea and this vision of why a third temple needs to go up in Jerusalem. And you, you, again, you understand, um, this isn't just any person that just sits behind a desk and writes articles. These are top people, and they push things through the governments. So they're talking about the third temple. Now, you're sitting here. Now, this is where I'm talking about the gap. You're sitting here thinking, well, Pastor Steve, who cares about the third temple? I don't care about the third temple. What are you talking about? Let me give you like a 30-second intro about the third temple, all right? So one of the main signs of the return of Jesus, henceforth the rapture of the church or, or, the, or the second coming, one of the main key things, there's six, by the way. When, when, I, when January, January I started saying, Lord, like download some stuff to me, Lord. Like I don't want to be just another speaker about the end times. And I don't, I don't want to be the same cookie-cutter approach. And I said, Lord, give me some stuff. And the Lord downloaded to me six key prophetic signs about the coming of Jesus Christ. Six. We're not going to have time to get into all of them. Maybe we'll, we'll scratch the tip of the iceberg or maybe one or two. But one of the main six about the coming of Jesus Christ is existence of a third temple. So the Bible says when there's a third temple in place, or when there's preparation for a third temple, what the Bible says is basically look up. Can, can I be more simple than that? Look up. Because when a temple or somewhat of a third temple starts going up, that means you're looking at the coming of Jesus three years, seven years, or ten years. It depends on when it starts. Literally, that's where we're at right now. Again, you might have heard this before. Y'all, Pastor Gary, I've heard it before. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming. And what, you know, let's define the word soon and, and let's, let's dissect the word soon and everything. Soon is soon now. So I'm sitting in this meeting and these guys, it's a two and a half hour meeting. 
It was about the end times. It was about the third temple. Now, what's the big significant part about this third temple? Well, the, the people in that room unanimously agreed that there has to be a third temple to be built soon. Why, is it, why do they believe that? They believe that peace cannot come to Israel unless there is a house of worship for both the Jew, the Arab, and the, the Arab Christian, and the Muslims. And guess what? There is a house of worship for the Muslims. That's that golden dome that you see on TV. And there is a house of worship for the Christian community. That's called the Church of Holy Sepulchre, which they built the place they believe the garden tomb of Christ laid and where Christ was crucified. That's the second place. And then the third thing that's missing is the Jewish temple. And 70% of end times prophecy deal with Jerusalem and deal with the third temple. So when a discussion or conversation about a third temple starts to go, to starts to arise, that means we need to start to take our faith more seriously. We need to start to take our marriages more seriously. Start to take your, your life with Christ and love with others more seriously. I'm sitting back thinking this whole time, what is happening here? They're talking about the third temple. They're talking about presenting how they're going to roll out the building of a third temple to the world. And I'm thinking, Lord, how, like, what am I doing here? One, my flesh from one angle is thinking, wow, this is exciting. But I started, I, I literally, literally, it wasn't for my just holding it strong. I almost started weeping like a baby. Because I started to think about Ahmed and Ali and George and Bassem and Tony, all the guys I grew up hanging out with growing up as a young man. I started thinking about all my friends, all my neighbors, the people that, that haven't accepted Christ yet, the people that denied Jesus. I started thinking about all these people, like, wait a minute, like, they don't know that Jesus, they, they don't at least know about the hope, that the, the resurrection that we have in Jesus Christ. And, and, and this bottle of emotion started going through my mind, thinking, if this is happening right now, then, then maybe we have five to ten years, if that. And, you know, if, 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 it's, if, if it was just an emotional thing happening here, then... 10 to 15 years, if that. And start to, my emotions start to clash with my reality. My emotions started to clash with the reality of, of Jesus is coming soon. I have so many people that, that don't know Jesus Christ yet. And so many people that they don't they even haven't heard about Jesus Christ yet. I want to tell you, in Israel, there's about 12 million people. Israel, Gaza, and the Palestinian areas. Just Israel. This is where, by the way, Christ, Christianity did not start in Texas. It started in Israel. You'd be surprised how people forget that or don't know that. Honestly. You'd be surprised how people forget that Christianity didn't start in America, started in Israel and the Middle East. 12 million people in Israel. And there's only between 25 to 37,000 Bible-believing Christians in Israel. Again, I want to say that. 12 million people between Israel, the Palestinian territories, and Gaza. There's only 35 to 37,000 born-again believers. Or evangelical Bible believing. And, and their faith stems from a 1 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10. That, that's the scale that goes. And I'm, the whole time I'm thinking this meeting. They're talking about the third temple. And, and this is two and a half years ago today. Today they've come so close. Uh, you know, just recently somebody said that they'll offer money to anybody that would slaughter a lamb, would sacrifice a lamb at the Temple Mount. That's another sign of preparation for the end times. So there's six key prophetic signs of the coming of Jesus Christ. One of them is the existence of the temple. 
And that's right now being put together. It hasn't been built yet, but they're, they're, they're campaigning. They're pushing politics. They're pushing things behind the scenes. So that's why it's important for you as a believer, as, 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 as a Jesus lover, regardless of what faith, regardless of what age group you're in, it's important for the end times to be on your agenda. It's important that end times be on your heart every single day, regardless of whether you go to church once a week or once a month. Keep Israel on, on your radar. Keep what the events that happen in Israel. Keep it on your daily radar because it, this is a good compass to know where to go. So we touched to scratch the tip of the iceberg about the end times. Let me quickly do another, another quick key prophetic point, and then we're going to just show you a quick PowerPoint about what God is doing in Israel, and we'll wrap it up, all right? Uh, the second key prophetic point is that... Um, it, this is very exciting because it says here the red heifer. So the red heifer is it's it's a two-year-old female calf that has to be without any blemish, has to be raised a certain way, fed a certain thing. Uh, and this red heifer is what they believe is needed to rededicate to dedicate a temple. And I want to read I want to read this to you. This is from the Orthodox world. Here's what I hear from the Orthodox Orthodox scholars. Nine red heifers were offered from the time that this command was given to Moses. The first was brought to Moses. The second was brought to Ezra. And there's been seven others, uh, several red heifers offered onto the destruction of the second temple. And, and most Bible or, or Jewish scholars believed that the tenth would offer, usher in the return of the Messiah. That's what you and I are doing today. We're living our lives trying to every day to draw towards God's righteousness. And every day we're trying to say, God, um, forgive me. I want to draw closer to you. And those of us who are thinking about the end times, we're thinking, Lord, come soon. But also we're living for the rapture. I don't know about you, but most of us who have seen the world would say, I'm, I, want to, I want to go to a better place. Who am I here to say, Pastor, I'm, I want to go to a better place. That's awesome. All right. Um, it's, it's a tough reality to really consider and to look at because... Not everyone that you know is going to be going with us. That's just reality. It's a choice. They make a choice. Not everybody here that, uh, that we know friends and family is going to be in heaven with us. And unfortunately, that's the reality that, that we, we, we look at when it comes down to choices that we make. But, you know, when we, when we, look, at this, when we look at this end times vision and end times story, you look at this red heifer and, and to them, they're saying like there's 0. 0.000000. And, and many other zeros of them finding an, another red heifer. This is according to Jewish scholars. Okay? And what is the point of this red heifer? The point of this red heifer is they would, they would grab this red heifer, and, which is one, zero, 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 and, and, and you get it, you get the point. So many, to find a red heifer, they only need to find nine in almost 4,000 years. Nine. And they believe the tenth ushers in the return of the Messiah. The purpose of this red heifer is they would slaughter the red heifer and sacrifice it. They would use the blood to, to sprinkle at the entrance of the temple, dedicate the temple. And they would burn the ashes and the ashes they would sprinkle it in the water for the high priest to enter the water. And the high priest would go to the temple to begin to dedicate uh, the, and, and to remember the salvation of the salvation of the, the nation of Israel. And then they would slaughter a lamb for the forgiveness of sins. And I want to tell you one thing. As of 2022, they have dedicated and have found four red heifers. This was around the same time that the existence of a third temple discussion started to happen. Four red heifers have been found. Some of them were actually sent from America to Israel. 
And they've narrowed down the four now to one key red heifer. Again, I'm going to read that one more time to you. Nine red heifers have been assigned since the inception of this law 4,000 years ago. Two, one was Moses, second was Ezra, and seven others since then. So nine in total. Many Jewish people believe the 10th would usher in the coming of the Messiah. And in 2022, they have dedicated the 10th red heifer. Now, they can't uh, sacrifice this heifer until temple goes up. When you put that and you link that in with my meeting with these top leaders, I would say start looking for rumors of a third temple probably the next year or so. Rumors of a third temple. Now, what does this do to our hearts? How, how do you link this all this with our, with our faith, with our Christianity? Well, all this is a Jewish thing, right? We talk about Jewishness, right? Well, 70 plus percent of end times eschatology, the coming of Jesus, deals with what? With Israel, with Jerusalem, with the times of Israel. Are you with me? Um, some, you know, some people try to say we see American prophecy and so forth. You, you, you might, and, and we can have a coffee talk about that later. Um, but, but, but factually, 70 plus percent of eschatology deals with what? With Jerusalem, with the Jews and the Arabs. And I'm, I'm linked to both people groups, and I'm, I'm from that. I was born in Jerusalem. There's only 167,000 of us that have a Jerusalemite card ID that I'm, a, I'm original Jerusalemite, and I'm just humbled by it. But also, it's a burden to carry because of the salvation, the revival of Israel. You're so fortunate here to have what you have. To have preachers and worshipers get up and worship and preach and teach, and don't take it for granted. Being able to open up your Bible and to draw closer to God's love. Don't ever take that for granted. I want to show you a quick PowerPoint. Um, it, so, again, I'm transitioning in such a short time. Hope I haven't bored you guys yet. Um, as we transition into this last segment, um, there's a PowerPoint. So, when I was here last with you guys, I talked about this future of Bethlehem, the future of, future of Bethlehem. You know, we all know that Bethlehem Jesus, is, is the city, the birthplace of Jesus Christ, right? We talked about that. And we talked about it takes 12 to 18 minutes to clarify one misconception about who Jesus Christ is in the heart and the mind of a Muslim. 12 to 18 minutes. Most Muslims, most Jews hate Christianity, hate Christ because they don't, they don't understand who Jesus Christ is. They think we worship three gods, literally. Literally, most Muslims think or believe we worship three gods. And I don't know about you. If somebody says, hey, I worship three gods, I'm like, yep, you stay away from me. That's us to them. They think we worship three gods. So I start off by saying this morning, facts matter. Are you with me? Truth matters. You cannot base a, you cannot base a belief on a system, on a maybe truth. Or of a somewhat of a truth. Truth matters. And the problem with the Muslim world hasn't been their fanatic, their extremists, and so forth. Yes, some of them are. But the majority of Muslims that I grew up with, I went to school with, and so forth, they're, they're not fanatic. They're not extreme. They just don't know who we are. They don't know what you and I believe. They don't know what Jesus Christ is. They don't know the full truth that Jesus Christ loves them so much. Jesus Christ not only died on the cross for me, he also gave them hope. So when I shared about this vision with you guys in last year, we didn't have a name for it. But today we have a name. It's called the Nativity Encounter. What it is, it's a, it's a leadership training center. 
evangelistic center, a conference, Christian conference center, and also a 45-minute to an hour uh, walk-through encounter based on 8 to 12 Bible, Bible stations or exhibits. In every exhibit, we bring out truth about stories in the Bible that have been corrupted, deceived, or lied to. Are you with me? Truth matters. Are you with me? And 12, 8 to 12 stations or exhibits, we call it, bringing out truth in a 3D, um, 4D, 5D experience about who Jesus Christ is. So henceforth, we call it the Nativity Encounter. Um, and, of course, the, the slogan is experience his story in history. You get it? Uh, experience history or his story. Um, I'm going to go like this with my finger to get, uh, to get uh, next going. So the, this Nativity Encounter will be hosted right in the heart of Bethlehem. If you see right all around us right there, there's a Palestinian Heritage Center, the, Nativity, the, the, the History of Bethlehem, the Palestinian Center. And we're going to be right smack in the middle. And the cool thing about this is we're the only Christian, gospel, Jesus-driven, history-correcting uh, vision in the whole city of Bethlehem. Just imagine the birth city of Christianity, where Jesus Christ was born, the place where you sing about, oh, holy, oh, holy town, where you sing, when you sing about Christmas, that's where I'm from. And we're not talking about Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We're talking about Bethlehem, Israel, the birth city of Jesus Christ. Um, and that's right there. That's the land. We're the only Christian center there. So basically, the whole vision is telling the nativity story from the beginning, starting from creation, starting from the Old Testament, um, starting from the local community, all the way to the land of where it all, all started. Um, the birth of Jesus Christ, the story, the simple story of the birth of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, has been corrupted to a point where today people don't know what truth is. Why? Because there's so many voices out there saying, well, Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Morocco or Jesus was born in Egypt. And let's, it's simple. Let's go back to the word of God. Are you with me? Let's get back to the word of God. The only truth that has never been doubted, that has ne that's been doubted but never been proven wrong. The only truth that stands in our path is the word of God. That's why when you're in doubt, go back to what? To the word of God. Amen? When you, when you don't know what's happening, you, when you don't know what you believe about race, about equality, about who we are, what we are, what's our identity, go back to what? The word of God. It's a simple compass. Go back to the word of God. And that's the problem is, is when you take it from the, the, the story of Jesus Christ, to the history of the Bible, the artifacts, to the story of his death, burial, resurrection, all the way to the salvation of mankind, you start to get a story. Have you guys ever been to the Ark uh, experience um, in Kentucky? You guys, everybody, have you been there? Awesome, okay. So grab that and put it in with, ever been to the Museum of the Bible in DC, Washington, D.C.? Some have. So you put the two together, that's what we're doing. It's a hands-on 3D, 4D experience encounter where people encounter stories from the Bible. We're clarifying misconceptions of who Jesus Christ is through the stories. Um, I want to show you this video. And this is a celebration since I was last with you guys here. Let's celebrate together. and greetings folks right from the heart of Bethlehem the nativity encounter that is the vision that God has placed on our hearts it says it all it's where people experience the nativity and the birth of Christ's story in a way that is very very unique how is it unique because it's hands-on it's present it's it's a miracle and it also reminds people that the story of Christ still moves forward. On my left hand here, 
starting from the trees and up and beyond the trees, stretching all the way straight forward. And as, if you can panoramic with my hand here, as my hand moves, you're looking at the property here, the land, which will house the future of the Nativity Encounter. All this will be the future of the Nativity Encounter. And here's the great news, folks. We bought this land debt-free. Hallelujah. We purchased it. It's, it's, this is the future of the Nativity Encounter. It sits on a, on a, a planned zone for a main road leading, actually looping around the entrance of Bethlehem. Is great because you bypass the traffic. Somebody walk up driving in from from the Jerusalem area can bypass and just come on this main double lane road and be able to access our nativity encounter. What you're looking at here will host the nativity encounter, which is the the 45 minute to an hour 20 experience walk through. People walk through the Bible, um, is focusing on major stories in the Bible, starting with the birth of Christ and ending with a specific point in scriptures that gets people that gets people in this position of thinking of. So I, I want to skip through that video because of running out of time. But I want to tell you there's a movement today. There's a movement today to eradicate Christianity from the heart of Bethlehem. There's a movement today to want to erase the, the history. How many of you here would say, Pastor Kerry, that should not happen? That's the birth city of Jesus Christ. If you care anything about Jesus, anything about the, the, the place where your faith, you're sitting in these pews because we're indebted to Christ. Amen. And your story that transformed you started in my town of Bethlehem, the birth of, and of course Jerusalem, the, the where Christ cross stood. And you know this fanatic, fanatical extremist movement, I don't want to talk more about this because I've been crucified on social media for this stuff. I mean, I've had to go under, under hiding and underground for this stuff. I, if, if, you, if you all know my story from the last time, I, my wife's a beautiful blue-eyed brunette uh, girl, surfer girl, met her surfing in Florida, um, and they came to volunteer in Israel, and we've been married for 17 years. She's had to go into hiding in Bethlehem, um, and it's, it's, been a, it's been a journey, but there's a movement today to eradicate Christianity, and they've called my father and I as the only few things standing in their way. Um, this, I'm honored, but at the same time, it puts a bullseye on our, on our backs to be the only thing standing in the way to eradicate Christianity. And we've, uh, over the years, we've had the influence, uh, the honor to influence about nine would-be nine would be young men who at one point would have been terrorists. And nine of them have changed, transformed their lives to Christ. And two of them, um, they've t according to the, some of the so fort, uh, security services, uh, two of them at one point would have been your worst nightmare here in America. So you're welcome. It's all because we're just amongst them, just sharing the love of Jesus. So basically, um, when we share all this, we're not going to get into all this, but, you know, every, every station, every exhibit, we're bringing the life, the truth about Jesus Christ, the history about Jesus, clarifying misconception. These are, by the way, some of the mock-up stations we're working on right now. Um, and then, of course, bringing the truth of Ruth and Boaz and David, the history of where Christ was born, being very interactive, um, going through the market, what it been like to, to shop and to buy things during Jesus' days, uh, the leadership training center, bringing in the truth, the Bible, the word of God, the history of our faith. Again, when we, when we forget where we came from, it's easy to forget. It's easier forget to, to, to get lost to where we're going next. So bringing in this leadership center, it, it, it's an experience of people really reenacting the scriptures before us. Um, and these are some of the numbers we're working on right now. Um, I don't know if we got, is there one more slide after that or is that it? All right. So if you want to scan this quickly before we conclude in prayer.
Um, scan that. That's to join our, 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 news, our newsletter, sign up to know more about what God is doing. If you want to click your phone out and, and do a QR scan code, that way we, because uh, I, know, I know a lot of people, when, whenever we leave a place, a lot of people start calling the church. How do we get a hold of Pastor Curry? How do we get a hold of the church? We don't know more. When they see something on TV, like they have a quick question, they email us. So sign up for our newsletter right now so that we can uh, get, get involved together. And the next slide, it's um, Nativity Encounter. Those of you who want to partner and support the vision in Israel for the Nativity Encounter. So basically on the back table back there, you are the first church. That we, we, we bring these products from Israel from. So we have Nativity Encounter products, uh, uh, gifts. We call them gifts, all right? Uh, it's not for sale. It's for suggested donations. So I want to ask you to come to the table afterwards and say, Pastor, I want to grab something. There's, there's shirts. There's olive wood, olive wood memorabilia. It's handmade olive wood gifts from Israel. Um, come out to the table and say, I want to be the first to grab this stuff. Because uh, we are trying to make history and trying to really bring in the gospel truth about Jesus Christ. And if you're here, you and Pastor Curry, I want to help preserve Christianity in Bethlehem. If you want to be a legacy partner, come talk to me afterwards. Say, Pastor Curry, I want, to, I want to be a legacy partner. I really want to make a difference and really get this vision up and running with you in Bethlehem. Please come talk to me afterwards. But I want to ask you to buy your heads. We spoke briefly, and we're, we're going to conclude. We spoke briefly about the vision of end times. We spoke about briefly about the coming of Jesus Christ. We spoke about briefly about the rapture. We spoke briefly about our stories of suffering and persecution. And we spoke briefly about truth matters. We spoke briefly about taking a stand and, and, and thinking out of the box and doing something that really puts a marker in, 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 in the ground for the coming of Jesus Christ. And, and how do you make all this make sense into your life? Well, one is you start drawing to God's love. Start drawing yourself to, to truth of God. Don't listen to 20 truths. Listen to one truth. And that truth is, is in the Word of God. It's the mind, the thought, the heart of God in our hands. It's called the Word of God. People can try to jab it and take a jab and try to dismantle the Scriptures. And it always comes back, always comes back standing on its feet. Because it's, it's the truth. And you surrender your mind, your heart, your, your body, your spirit only to the Word of God. How does Satan confuse you? Well, he lets you believe in three truths. How does Satan deceive you? Well, he... he, he he blurs the truth. How does Satan lie to you? Well, he calls good evil and evil good. How does Satan break your marriage? Well, you, you start submitting to things outside the word of God. And we, we, we all fall. But the most important thing is to come back to God's righteousness through his word. And that story we heard about brother earlier, amazing. That's the, the prodigal son lost and came back again. But that's all of us here today. He said, Pastor Steve, today, boy, you went deep, and I, don't, I didn't understand 90% of what you said. And that's fine. Let me give you the 10%. That 10% is Jesus loves you. That 10% truth matters. And that 10% is that regardless what is out there waiting for you out those outside those doors, stand your feet on truth. Stand your feet on the Word of God. And it's not enough just to be on church on Sunday. It's not enough. You have to be a student of the Word of God. You have to read and study the Bible every day. Listen, I've, hang, I've hung out with some, of the, the most, with some of the most popular people in this world, literally. I've, I've got this privilege to hang out with some of the people that you see in Hollywood on TV and movies. Some of the most unhappiest people are the ones you see on TV. And this is, I didn't, I didn't read this on Google. I was hanging out with the Bible studies with them. Some of the most unhappiest people are the ones you see on TV. Some of the most unhappiest people are some of the most wealthiest people in the world and some of the most unhappiest why? Because 
we can search, search, search in our world, in our heart, in our lives. We always come back to a creator that loves us. So as worship goes through and as, as Brother Nestor comes up, Heavenly Father, I bow before you this second declaring that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, you're the God that loves us. You're God that cares. You're the God of righteousness. You're God that's, that's allowed us to sit here today. There's re Lord, there's a reason people are here this morning. So we surrender to you. Lord, today we compacted. We, we, Lord, we opened up a Pandora's box today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we walk away understanding that your word and your scriptures is the only truth we submit to. And that's the only thing that, that we, we submit to within, with our race, nationality, marriage, home, family, wealth, philosophies, ideologies, our two cents has the Lord be under your scriptures. So Lord, today I pray also the Nativity Encounter. I pray, Lord, that you rise up here, people that want to be voices for the Nativity Encounter. I pray, Lord, that you rise up a couple of families today that say, Pastor Steve, we want to be legacy partners. Lord, we pray as we surrender to the worship, would you, Lord, begin to move amongst us? Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.